Bible stories. Luke 14, 1 to 24. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Jesus asked the Pharisee, an expert in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. Then he asked them, if one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honour at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do you take the place of honour for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited? If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he will say to you, Friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honoured in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, <coughs> and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do you not invite your friends? Do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives, or your rich neighbours. If you do, they might invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet, inviting many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to take, make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I am on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. The owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets, alleys of the town, and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you are ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master turned to his servants. Go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in, so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Thank you for God's word. Well, thank you very much for reading that passage to us, sister. It was, I assure you it was easier to change the Bible reading than it was to change the That's great. Well, it's the time of year, isn't it, when we're beginning to uh, regret all the excess food we've had and uh, the lovely places we've been for, for dinners and for parties and for extra treats which has been uh, just such a lovely part of, of, of the Christmas season and the New Year season. Um, and today as we look at this passage together, it really helped me if you would open up your Bibles at Luke chapter 14 and keep them there, that would be a, that would be a massive help 
Today we find ourselves with the Lord Jesus at a dinner party, uh, at a place where he has been invited in verse 1 to one of the homes of one of the leading Pharisees. And what I want to talk to you about this morning is the dangers and delights of dining with Jesus. There are dangers, and of course there are delights, and we're going to look at both of these things. And to try and get at that in the passage, I want us to think about the, the three different types of relationship that are going on. First of all, we're going to see how the guests treat the guests, and then we're going to notice how the host treats the guests, and then we're going to notice finally how the guests treat the host, if that's not too confusing, but there should be some uh, titles on the screen that will help us with that. So number one, let's look together in the text at how the guests treat each other, or how the guests treat the guests. We can just give that a wee thumb on. Uh, we'll see it. Number one, there it is. How the guests treat the other guests. So, verse one, it's the Jewish Sabbath, which is our Saturday. And he went, the Lord Jesus went to eat in the house of one of the leading Pharisees, and they were watching him very closely. Now, the minute you and I read that, we know, don't we, that that is not exactly going to be the most relaxed, friendly atmosphere that you would normally associate with being invited to someone's home for dinner. That doesn't sound terribly friendly. Uh, you see, they were watching him, not because they were fascinated at him, but because they were furious at him. This is not the first time that Jesus went to dine at the house of a Pharisee in Luke's Gospel. Uh, let me read this to you from chapter 11. There was a very uncomfortable dinner there at a Pharisee's house. And at the end of it, when he left there, the scribes of the Pharisees in verse 53 of Luke 11 began to oppose him fiercely and to cross-examine him about many things. Luke says they were lying in wait for him to trap him in something he, he said. And that's what's going on here when they're watching him closely. It's not because they think he's amazing. They are desperate to pounce the minute he puts a foot wrong and to accuse him of breaking the law. And they don't have very long to wait before this happens. Verse 2, there in front of him was a man uh, who had what we heard in the reading was dropsy, a, a swelling, uh, a gathering of fluid at parts of his body that cause uh, pain and misery. It normally indicates a heart problem. And it's likely that this man had been deliberately brought in by the Pharisees because they knew that Jesus couldn't resist helping and healing. And they wanted to see if they could trap him into doing that on the Jewish Sabbath. The view of the leaders is not reported here, but it's well known that they were against doing anything that could be construed as work on the Jewish Sabbath. So verse 3 in response, Jesus asked the law experts and the Pharisees, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. It's interesting, isn't it? They were, they were probably only certain of what a person could not do. There's people like that, isn't it? They're not really very sure of what you can do, what you should do. You don't, they're only certain of the negatives, what you can't, you shouldn't do that. But they don't know what the good things are that we're meant to do. But they kept silent, they had nothing to say. They were probably only certain of, of, the, of the, the things that they didn't want Jesus to do. So have a look there in verse 5. He healed the man in verse 4 and sent him away. And then he said, Which of you whose son or ox falls into a well will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? They could find no answer to these things. Now, I'm trying to show you this morning how the guests treat another guest. 
with hostility, uh, with scrutiny. It wasn't very pleasant for the Lord Jesus. But do you notice that he is utterly in control? He has sitting around the table with him some of the sharpest theological and legal minds of the day, and yet he has tied them in knots by two simple questions. And there is nothing they can say. I mentioned a moment ago that this kind of swelling that this poor man had suffered from before Jesus healed him was often an indication of a heart problem. And it's a reminder to me certainly that that guy wasn't the only man in the house with a heart problem that day. All the guys who seemed to be physically fit sitting around the table, they had a serious heart problem as well. They had been looking at Jesus, listening to what he said, watching for what he did, all the stuff that was publicly obvious for everybody to see. But what they didn't realise is that all the time he had been examining their hearts, the stuff that we can't see. So can you picture the scene? They're just, he's just healed the man and they're sitting at table uh, having their meal together. And verse 7, the Lord Jesus tells a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the best places for themselves. So he had noticed as they came in how they all wanted the place of preference for themselves. They, they always want, they wanted to seat, sit in the seats of honor. And there, was a, there must have been a bit of pushing and shoving going on. To get to the best place. And so Jesus says, oh here's a wee tip for you. When you're invited to a wedding, don't go to the best place. Because you don't know who's been invited. There might be somebody more distinguished than you. And then the host who's organised the seating plan might have to come to you and say, Look, do you mind? I'm sorry, but do you mind moving away to somewhere else? I've actually planned for someone else to sit in this seat. How cringy and embarrassing would that be? So Jesus says, when you're invited, go to the lowest place. And then if your host wants to move you, you'll be honoured in front of everybody. Verse 11, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. <laughs> Anyone who thinks that Jesus is dumb and boring has never read the Gospels. Can you imagine what it was like sitting around that table? As he begins to crack open the attitudes of their hearts, as he says, oh, I noticed what you did as you were coming in. We, we bargained you had to get the best seats. Let me just tell you about that. That wasn't boring. Excruciating, yes. Embarrassing, yes, but not boring. What these guys thought was undiscoverable about themselves. That longing to be top dog. Jesus split it out, opened it up, and served it on the table along with the meal. They'd be sitting there in judgment on him, seeking to be exalted among their peers. And Jesus warns them not to be like that. And he, he moves from possibilities, in, down to verse 10, this may happen, that may happen, to absolute certainty in verse 11. Everyone who humbles himself will be, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Friends, I'm not going to take a lot of time on that verse this morning except to say this. I guess most of us who've known the Lord for a period of time know that wee verse and we know the truth of it, but very few people actually believe that's true. We, we, we don't really believe that that can be true. Because we, we, we've bought into the whole spirit of the age which is about self-exaltation, looking after number one. 
that's as natural to us as breathing. And here's the Lord Jesus saying, if you do that, you're in for an almighty crash. But if you humble yourself, you're going to be exalted. And who better than the Lord Jesus to speak about this? The one who humbled himself and became obedient to death. Even the death of the cross. And now, therefore, God has exalted him to the highest place. And given to the one who humbled himself the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every nation. Take it from the Lord Jesus, the way up is down. And all of this arose from the observation of how the guests treated Jesus the guest. But he has more to say around the table. Brother, turn this on again. Give me the second heading up there so we can follow where we are. Second thing this morning, how the host treats the guests. So verse 12, he also said to the one who'd invited him, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends or your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours, because they might invite you back and you would be repaid. It's amazing, isn't it? That just as he noticed the other hosts jostling for position, looking for the places of honour for themselves, he'd also noticed, uh, the guests doing that, he'd also noticed the host had invited the people in the first place, not really so that he could serve them, but so that ultimately they could serve him. Jesus says, don't do that if you're going to get paid back. And he gives them an alternative approach in verse 13. On the contrary, when you host a bank, invite those who are poor, who are crippled or maimed or lame or blind. And of course, he's speaking about a, a time and a day when if you had serious physical disability, there was no social structure for you to have any income at all. You were left to, to, to beg because you weren't physically able to do work for yourself and earn your living. And he says in verse 13, you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you. And you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Well, I can imagine the guests all choking on their, on their food as they hear Jesus say this. Because they live in a world, as we do, when you only give to get. You, you only do something if there's going to be some payback for you. Very rarely is anything done purely for the, the benefit of the recipient of your care. And these are the religious leaders. These are the guys who are meant to know God. And yet they are stunned by what Jesus says. And they can't fathom why you would invite people to, into your life and into your home who can't enrich you materially. They can't work out why would you have anybody in life who's only going to be a drain on your resources who can't possibly add value. Even though they're the religious leaders who are meant to know God. It's so obvious, isn't it, how little they know the God they claim to serve. So again, the Lord Jesus lifts their sights beyond this kind of pathetic posing and posturing among themselves and tells them that there is a day coming when people are going to be raised from the dead. And Jesus is always doing this. He, he, he's always getting people to look beyond life, to look beyond today. To look beyond this year. He, he, he wants his, his people who love him, who follow him, to be 
living now in the light of an ultimate reality. An absolute certainty. There's a day coming where we're going to stand before him. We're going to be, if we've already died, we're going to be raised in our bodies and souls. We're going to be reunited and we're going to be there before him in the last day. And actually, on that day, what, what is going to be exposed is not just what we did or what we didn't do, but the reasons as to why we did what we did and the reasons for what we did, didn't do what we didn't do. Listen to Paul writing in 1 Corinthians 4. He says in verse 5, Don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes, who will both bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the heart. And then praise will come to each one from God. Now, I'll be honest with you this morning. I still find it stunning to think that even though the Lord Jesus has given his life for me and my trust is in him, I, I know that we all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Not for salvation if we're trusting in him, but we, we appear before him to have some kind of an assessment made of our lives. And not only is he going to know all that I did, and all that I didn't do, and some of the stuff I did was good, and some of the stuff I didn't do was good. But he's got to know the motivation behind that. So that Sunday morning, I went to New Beginnings and, and preached Luke 14. He, he's not only going to know that I did it, he's going to know what was the motivation of your heart when you did that great. And the main piece of information I receive when I think about that is that I desperately need a saviour. He not only knows what I've done and what I've failed to do, he knows why. And half the time, I don't even know why I do what I do and why I don't do what I don't do. I can see in this passage that I'm like the guy with the swollen limbs. I have a heart problem and I'm swollen with instinctive selfishness. I'm swollen with instinctive self-preservation and self-promotion. But the Lord Jesus isn't like that. He is the only utterly sinless and selfless person ever to live. He lived with perfect action in all that he did. He lived with perfect inaction in all that he refused to do. And he lived in both of these with perfect motivation. So the intentions of his heart were always honouring to God and always perfect. And what I need and what he's done for me is that he's pulled me out of the pit in which I was helplessly trapped. And he's able to do that for anyone who will ask him to. He, you know, we, we are in a pit. We are in a trap. We cannot get ourselves through. Hear me again. It's not just what you've done and what you haven't done. I was talking to a gentleman who came to our home on Friday to fix a washing machine and he was from a Muslim background and he was telling me, oh well I think it's all to do with it, you do enough good things and they balance up the bad things. And I said to him, no, but the issue is the motivation of your heart. Yeah. That's, that's what the Lord Jesus is going to look at. And he, he, he went, because it is stunning. We're in a pit. None of us is comfortable with that. We need a saviour and we have in the Lord Jesus one who is able to go and draw people out of that pit. One who is able to heal people from this spiritual dropsy, this spiritual swollenness and clothe us with his righteousness and 
give to our account the record of his perfect motivation in life. That's how great the gospel is. That's what the Lord Jesus will do for you if you trust him. And that's why he's having dinner with these Pharisees and lawyers. It's not because he couldn't be bothered cooking. He's there on business, isn't he? He's there on a rescue mission. He's there exposing the truth behind their corrupt hearts and their puffed up legalistic religiosity. Even though he knows their dead set of rejecting him as now becomes crystal clear as we go to the third thing, rather the third point there. How the guests treat the guests, how the host treats the guests. Lastly, we notice how the guests treat the host. Jesus had just said in verse 14, you will be repaid in the resurrection of the righteous. And I guarantee you, you could have cut the atmosphere with a knife at that point. And that's maybe why one of the guests sitting around the table tries to change the subject. Have you ever been in a slightly awkward situation like that? You've maybe had friends out for, or you've been out for a meal, or been at their home, or they've been at your home, and you're having a nice time, and then somebody says something a bit off, and, my goodness, you're, you're desperately trying to think, what can I say? You end up talking rubbish about the weather. Oh, but was that, was that remarkably wet this afternoon? Well, yes, yes it was. I thought, I thought it would never stop. And we end up talking a lot of rubbish to try and change the subject and move on to happier things. Well, this man sees his opportunity and he jumps in. Look at him in verse 15. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, in other words, heard how their hearts were being totally exposed before God. He said, blessed is the one who lead bread in the kingdom of God. You see what he's trying to do? He's trying to raise a topic of conversation in which he is confident this is something we can all agree on. And the implication of his comment is that for these guys around the table along with Jesus, the, the ultimate priority of their lives is to live under God's kingly rule. And they're just looking forward to that day when they'll finally be in his presence, in the kingdom of God. But, he's talking nonsense. It's fundamentally untrue. And I find people are like that all the time. I get to give you an example from that gentleman I was speaking to on Friday. He said to me, uh, oh yes, we've got all these different religions in there, and they're all the same, aren't they? You'll hear people say things like that. And everybody, oh yes, yeah, it doesn't matter. You can believe something or nothing. It doesn't matter at all. It's so wonderful, isn't it? And everybody expects there to be a chorus of approval for that kind of thing that, that stops there being any examination of what we actually believe. The reality here is that, although this guy is saying, wouldn't it be great when we all get to heaven? And we're with the Lord because he's the one we ultimately love. Jesus actually exposes the fact that they don't want to live under the gracious kingly rule of the Lord God. And now he tells us why. And the reason is that they can't bear it. Have a look at what Jesus says. Verse 16. Then he told them, a man was giving a large banquet and invited many. Now in these days when you had, when you gave the banquet, you just gave notice of the banquet. You didn't you weren't able to say it's Friday at half past seven. That's the way we live. But you said, look, there's a banquet coming. And I'll let you know when it's ready. And in the culture, you accepted the invitation. And you were 
The way that you prepared was, no matter what you were doing, every day and everything you did, you thought, now, I need to get ready because this guy could call at any minute. And as days passed, you knew you were getting much closer to the point when the word was going to come. He's ready. Man was giving a large banquet, he invited many. Verse 17, at the time of the banquet, he said to his servants, to those who were invited, come because everything is now ready. So the banquet had been announced. The invitations had gone out and been accepted. Now the preparations were complete. The food was cooked. The table was set. The places were ready. What happens next? What are the, the host and the guests sitting around the table with Jesus that Sabbath expecting Jesus to see? Now if you're sharp, and if you know that they're sharp, you might be thinking to yourself, probably by then they were expecting a twist in the tail. They were probably expecting to Jesus, Jesus to say something different from what everyone expected. They were probably expecting a sting in the tail. They'd probably learn not to expect a happy ending from Jesus. <clears throat> so they might have been bracing themselves to find that in his story, that actually in the end, when the host invited them all and told them that it was time to come, in the end he found that actually all the guests were unworthy of his banquet. And he refused to give them admission. Maybe that's what they were expecting. If they were expecting a, some kind of twist. I just mentioned that because actually what happened was the complete opposite of that. It wasn't that the host found the guests unworthy. It was the guests who found their host unworthy. They all began to make excuses. The first said, I've bought a field, I've got to go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I have to go and try them out. Please excuse me. Now as we hear that, that sounds very polite, doesn't it? Please excuse me. It sounds nice. But the Lord Jesus, as he tells this parable, is exposing a deliberate snub. No one would buy a field or a single ox, never mind five teams of oxes, without already inspecting them. You didn't have eBay in these days. You went and you saw the field. You went and you saw the livestock. And then you decided if you are going to buy it or not. Or else you had, if you were wealthy, you had people who did that for you. But if you had people who did that for you, you didn't need to go. It wasn't a pressing need for you to go. So what Jesus is building into this story and would have been understood by those who sat around the table is that these are deliberately lame excuses. Do you remember the old one in our culture? The bloke gets the courage to, to gets up the courage to ask the girl out and says, Would you like to come out for a for a meal on Friday night? And she says she says, Oh, Friday night. Ah, oh, that'd be good, but I'm washing my hair. Who said, oh dear, Aye, that's right, it brings pain, doesn't it? <laughs> it brings pain to my memory as well. I'm washing my hair. It, 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 it's calculated not to let you down gently. It's calculated to be a punch in the teeth. To make it crystal clear, she would rather have a night in with Vosine than a night out with her head and shoulders or whatever it is. She would rather do that than go out for a meal with you. So it's, it's, it's a deliberate slap in the face. That's what's going on here. Oh, I'm sorry, I can't come up. I've bought this field and you know what it's like. I've got to go and see it. No, I know you've already been to see the field before you bought it. I've bought five team of oxen. You know what they're like? And well, why did you buy them without checking? I know you've been to see them. I know this is just, this is just a way of socially slapping down 
my invitation. That's the way it goes in the story. And the third guy, he says, I just got married, therefore I'm unable to come. He effectively says, you don't expect me to turn up, just deal with it. And what's the Lord Jesus doing here? He's speaking about how the men who were around the table with him that day actually treated God's invitation to be in his eternal kingdom. It's a stunning thing. If you're drifted off, I don't blame you, but come back, wake up for this last five minutes. These guys sitting around the table with Jesus that day, listening to this parable about how the guests treat the host, represent those who despise God and despise his servant and despise his invitation to be in his eternal kingdom. They are determined that they will not be with him. That's the strangest thing. But that's what's going on. In chapter 13, Jesus had said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I wanted to gather you together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. You are having none of it. You are having none of it. You would have nothing to do with me. Repeatedly, his people Israel, especially the leaders, smugly scorned the Lord Jesus, just as many people do today. And you and I who love the Lord Jesus, we know that horrible experience, don't we? When we talk to our colleagues or our neighbours or our friends who don't know the Lord and we, we try to speak to them about the gospel or we try to invite them to something that they might come along and enjoy and hear something about the Lord Jesus and they, 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 they make us feel that size. They make you feel like a laughing stock. It's a horrible feeling. And people feel very smug because in their minds Jesus is nothing. Our Heavenly Father is nothing. It's fine to mock him. But the Lord Jesus warns us in the previous chapter that on that day when he comes again that we've been thinking about already that sense of relaxed mockery is going to turn to sheer panic. Listen to this. From Luke chapter 13 verse 24. Jesus says make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Because I tell you many will try to enter and won't be able. Once the homeowner gets up and shuts the door. And they'll stand outside and they'll knock on the door saying Lord open up for us. And he will answer I don't know you or where you're from. Then he'll say can you imagine this. We ate and drank in your presence. It's exactly true of these guys that we're reading about in chapter 14. You taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I don't know you or where you're from. Get away from me, you evildoers. And there will be weeping. All the mockery. All the rejection of the Lord Jesus. There will be weeping. There will be gnashing of teeth in that place. You see, the danger of dining with Jesus is not just that he exposes the secrets of your heart. That's uncomfortable, and he does. He exposes the reality of me every time I read his word. He, that's what he does. That's not the danger of dining with Jesus. The danger is that when he does that, we further harden our hearts to him. Or the danger is that when we hear the invitation of the gospel, we despise him. And we despise his invitation. And we despise his servant, the Lord Jesus, whom he sent. That's how it would happen for these men. Who in the end, in verse 24, none of them who were invited 
would enjoy the banquet. They won't taste the delights of the banquet, not because they weren't invited, but because their defective hearts puffed them up and they despised God and they despised his servant and they despised his invitation. And the fact that they ate and drank in his presence and heard him teach in the streets makes it all the more tragic. I, I, I know very few of you this morning. I, I've got some good friends here, but I know very few of you. So I'm not having a go at anybody here. So Because I, I, I don't know who you are or, or where you're from or why you're here. But in our church at Harper, we, 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 have, a, we have a lot of people who are coming to the meetings and we're really thrilled about that they don't know the Lord and we love them to be there and they come to nearly everything it's brilliant, we're really excited about that but we're saying to them please don't ever confuse being around Christians with being in Christ don't think that you know because you're following the marching band you're one of the players don't think, you know I've, I've done everything necessary. I now go to the meetings. I, I go to new beginnings. I'm there most of the time. And I go on a Wednesday night. And I do these things. P- please don't. Because the reason I say that is because there are going to be people in the last day saying, Lord, you, you, we ate and drank in your presence. And you taught on our streets. And they'll say, I don't know who you are. Because although they were around him, they never personally connected with him. So I plead with you. Don't have that nightmare on the last day. But I plead with you. If you don't know the Lord Jesus, you know many who do know him. Make today the day when you settle that issue so you're not in that nightmare scenario. I, I used Lord, I used to go to New Beginnings. I helped with the coffee. I put my name down in the flower water. when you've never actually trusted him as your saviour and turned from your sin please think about that this morning if, if that's relevant to you that's the danger but look at the delights as we close and we are closing now look at the delights of dining with the Lord Jesus forever in verse 21 the servant came back and reported all the excuses to his master and the master in anger said go out into the streets and alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the blind, the lame master the servant said what your order has been done in the still room then the master told him go out into the highways and hedges and make them come in so that my house may be filled and so the invitation of the gospel goes out doesn't it all over the world today all over the world today People are being invited to come and know and take shelter under the wings of the Lord Jesus. To come and have the gift of being lifted out of that pit, being cleansed of your sin, being given the gift of his perfection. That's how sinful people get to be with the Lord in glory forever. Not by what they have done, but by responding to the invitation in the light of all that God has done by his Son. And we are made to come to him. That doesn't mean we're forced against our will. But it means that people are persuaded that we really are welcome. That there really is a way for a schmuck like me to belong to him. 
And that's what it means by go and compel them. Go and persuade them to come in. Tell them it's true there is a place for you. And if you take refuge under his wing, if you love and gladly respond to his invitation, do you know what happens? It's true of everybody who knows the Lord Jesus in the meeting this morning. Do you know what happens? You suddenly realise who you are in this story. You suddenly realise, as I do, that we brought nothing but our brokenness. You suddenly realise that we are the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. That's who we are. When Jesus says, go and get them and bring them in. Yeah, we suddenly realise it. That's, that's who belongs to him. Because we were totally spiritually poor. Totally broken. Totally crippled. Totally blind. Totally lame. But he came in his power. And as his Holy Spirit was at work in our lives, we heard the invitation and we moved towards him by the grace he gives. And he did that work. And that's why it's no big deal for us to invite the poor and the maim and the blind and the lame. It's no big deal for us to have people in our lives who had no economic benefit. Of course it's not. Because we know that that's what we're going to have forever. We're going to have benefit forever because the Lord Jesus welcomed us in our brokenness and in our poverty. Because we know that that's who we are in God's sight. So there is a danger in dining with Jesus. It's not just that he exposes the secrets of our hearts. There is that we think that being around his people is enough or we despise and harden our hearts, despise him and push him away. But then if you hear that and you act on it, if you're gathered to him, then there are the delights. Oh, there are the delights of being with him forever, being in a place where there are going to be people from every highway and every hedge on planet earth one day in glory with the Lord Jesus for an everlasting banquet of unimaginable delights. That's what's ahead of us. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Saviour, the Lord Jesus. We thank you for these real life encounters that are recorded for us in your word. Real flesh and blood people meeting with him. In this case, people with hearts like bricks. Rejecting him. Talking the talk. Acting as though they loved your rule. Acting as though, speaking as though they wanted you as king. But actually deep in their hearts they could not bear you. And Father, we know that's true of all of us by nature. We don't really want you to be king. We want to be king. We sing, if I rule the world and all that rubbish, please in your mercy, bring your light to bear afresh in our hearts. For anybody in the, the gathering this morning who, who loves to be around this place but has never really trusted the Lord Jesus, please do the work today. And for those of us who do know him, and love him. Help us to see who we are. In the light of the gospel. And to live accordingly for the glory of the one who loved us and gave himself for us. In his precious name we pray.